Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. This is a horror podcast, so we're going to be talking about horror things, which could involve sensitive subjects such as child abuse, bad language, the R word. The F word. That one too. Many other words. Many other words. So with that out of the way, uh, welcome to the show. Steve, what do we got coming up in the near future? Uh, well, again, and still <laughs> have mm-hmm. about uh, 10 people on the guest list, so not going to go through them all, but uh, mainly authors. Uh, I think we still have one actor, actor and director. Um, before we get into the current interview, just a brief word. We are doing um, listen parties on Discord every Sunday at 7 p.m., and Chris hosts a drawing party at 9 p.m. every Sunday, also on Discord, uh, Eastern Time, by the way. There are links to our Discord server on our webpage. Also links to Chris's horror themed webcomic pieces of flesh.com. And there it's not on the, on the website, but my book, a guide to the recovery toolbox currently has a coupon at smashwords.com. You can pick up the electronic version for 99 cents. The coupon code is L E 69 E. And I don't remember if I said it, but the, uh, the book is called a guide. I did say a guide to the recovery toolbox, but for today, our guest is Mr. Michael Allen Rose. He is the author of Jurassic Christ, Last Five Minutes of the Human Race, and Boiled Americans. Michael, how are you doing? I am great. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing Welcome well. to the show. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Our pleasure. Before we get into the meat of the interview, you want to let us know what you're currently working on? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm one of those people who's always working on a lot of things that I may mm-hmm. or may not ever finish. But uh, <laughs> I'll give you some. Uh, I'll give you <laughs> some some sneak previews. So um, in addition to my writing, I'm also a musician and a performance artist, and I've just released the first uh, EP from my project Flood Damage uh, earlier mm-hmm. this year. That it, first EP in quite some time, anyway. And it's part of a series, so I plan to release a few more, kind of playing with different genres, but sort of infected with that like classic 90s wax tracks, industrial rock kind of uh, hmm. vibe. Okay. So th- that's one thing I'm kind of working on. So the second EP, I hope, will be at the beginning of 2024 sometime here. And nice. I'm also working on a few different writing projects, kind of dabbling around with with things here and there but the next one i can actually announce uh is next year from madness heart press i'll have i guess for lack of better description it's a fake textbook on how to give good speeches Uh, (laughs) and uh it's uh the working title is inappropriate toasts for all occasions (laughs) <laughs> I was just thinking about Berliners. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll have uh, the first half of the book is sort of a parody of speech textbooks and how to, you know, how to be a good public speechificator. And mm-hmm. then the, uh, the second half of the book is various speeches that you can just steal from me in, you, you know, when those situations come up, but there's situations like, you know, being crushed by a grand piano that fell out of a four story window on the sidewalk and telling passersby what happened, but you end up talking more about the, how nice the piano is. Than else. <laughs> um, things okay. like that. So it's, uh, you know, sort of a parody of, of academia, but it should be really I think fun. You and Chris are going to get along much better than I realized. <laughs> awesome. Similar sense yeah. of humor. Yes. I'm a, I'm a comedy guy at, at heart. Like I write horror and I write some serious literary stuff, but I, at, at heart, I'm a, I'm a comedy guy all the way to my core. I mean, nice. Horror and comedy are great bedfellows. There have been some yes, good ones. Yes, absolutely. 
Well, uh, I believe we spoke briefly about the theme of the interview, so you know what you're getting to on that front. Um, starting with childhood, what are your, some of your earliest memories of scary things? Oh, and by the way, if there's and there's going to be questions that we uh, we ask that may not land, or you know, either you don't want to answer them, that's fine. Uh, it's not meant to be a therapy session, but uh, there's there's going to be some questions that you're just like, ah, but not every question is meant to land. You just never know what's going to come up if you don't ask. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I, you'll quickly realize too that I'm kind of an open book, and this is something I'm kind of known for, and by my colleagues and contemporaries mm. in the scene because there's very little that i won't talk about okay and if i don't know the answer i might make something up but we'll see what happens. i was wondering um, <laughs> <about> that. <laughs> that works that works yeah yeah um i guess my earliest memories you know so i, I have a weird journey into horror because when i was a kid i was one of those kids who like i couldn't handle scary movies mm-hmm. you know i was i was not into horror as a kid but when I look back on that and analyze it, I think it's because I grew up in a fairly conservative household. Mm-hmm. And I think my mom especially kept me away from horror. You know, she didn't like scary things. And so she sort of, I think, tried to pass that along, trying to be a good mom, but like, well, I'm going to keep my kid sheltered from these scary things, mm-hmm. you know. But she had never found, I don't think, the pleasure in horror. That, mm. that many of us find later. So I think that's why for the longest time I, I was like, well, I can't handle horror movies. I can't, I can't engage with this kind of content. And then it was sometime in my teenage years when I remember having this cathartic sort of moment where I went, well, okay, so I've always been afraid of these, these scary things. But by that time I had found some other avenues in, which I'll, which I'll talk about in a moment. But but I remember kind of having the realization that's like, there are creative people that create these things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so why am I afraid of the darkness? I could be of the darkness. I could, I could be one of the people creating that darkness. And I think I had this moment of realization that it's like, well, this is, this is not stuff that's like, you know, this, is, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like people are bringing ideas to the table and creating these works of horror what if I was one of those people, then I wouldn't be afraid of the dark. I would be playing in it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that was one of the first kind of realizations that I might actually enjoy creating horror. And by that time I'd been, you know, I'd been dabbling in writing my own stories and things. I mean, okay. in the way that kids do with action figures and stuff, but also, you know, writing mm-hmm. things down and trying to make a narrative out of it. So I think that was kind of the, the catalyst for me to go, Oh, I want to do this. I want to make these mm-hmm. things. But, you know, I say that I didn't really watch horror movies and stuff, but I think back and there were a lot of things when I was a kid that I really liked that feed into those horror tropes and that genre, like mythology. I was a big fan of mythology. So I would check out books from the school library on, you know, all these ancient monsters, minotaurs and cyclops and things like that. And, you know, I look back on my doodles as a kid and that's what I was drawing. I'm drawing monsters, mm-hmm. you know? And to me at the time, I wasn't thinking of that as horror. That was like just this epic adventure story to me. It was like, but I identified with the monsters, you know, like I wasn't drawing, <laughs> I wasn't drawing Perseus. I was drawing, you know, <laughs> the Cyclops, like the Hydra and the Cyclops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were way more interesting to me. And I think that in conjunction with uh, scary stories to tell in the dark which was, I think, a huge influence on me. I actually have a, a copy of the re-released ones with the old Stephen Gamble artwork. 
which is still burned into my head, like from the time I was a kid. Like I'll never forget some of those drawings are so freaky even today. So I think that was part of it. And then video games were a huge influence on me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just the right age to come of age when like Atari first hit. I was, I was like two. And then by the time I was, you know, the exact target age for Nintendo, it was like, I grew up with video games. Mm. So I'm thinking back and I'm like, man, like, there was like a game on Atari called Haunted House where you're this little pair of eyeballs wandering around in the dark okay. and you're trying to find these these pieces of a sacred urn and there's a bat okay. and a ghost and a spider in the house. You know, the thunder would crackle and whatever. And it's these old Atari 2600 graphics. You know, it's nothing terribly realistic. But I realized too, and I had a, a discussion with some other horror authors about this recently, I made up headcanon Mm-hmm. For this little pair of eyeballs, I added all this content in my head about like, well, I'm an adventurer and this is, you know, this is what's going on. Cause you know, those simplistic graphics weren't filling in the blanks for me. Mm-hmm. And I think I had this, like this moment too, where I realized, oh, that was formative in a lot of ways too. Cause I loved the themes. I loved the scary theme. Like, oh, there's ghosts and there's thunder and there's mystery. And I had to fill in a lot of the details cause Mm-hmm. You know, it's not exactly narrative heavy, those early right. video yeah. games. Yeah, they were a little minimal on the graphics and, <laughs> and the stories. They, they were simplistic in the stories. And it's funny you bring that up because that was the first thing I thought of, too, is like Atari 2600 with the graphics. I mean, it's not like it's not like some of the much later interactive uh, like Sega CD games or, you know, sorry, sorry to bring that one up. But um, <laughs> Night Trap. But yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like. The graphics themselves aren't that scary if you just look at them, but it does offer that uh, that that scariness or creepiness because you fill in the blanks with your own mind. It's like the oblivious mm-hmm. storytelling, or not oblivious, but um, not obvious storytelling, where you you fill in the gaps, and that kind of create it makes it scarier because it gives you that personal connection to it. Absolutely. And how many times have we heard horror creators say, you know, it's not what you see, it's what you don't see. Yeah. And and with those minimalist graphics and things, you're you're having to fill in a lot of the what I don't see. Right. You know, there was no background or anything like that in that haunted house game. It was just black, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, what's in the darkness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. the The interesting thing to me is how you know there are multiple genres or or even media, I guess you could say that. You know, there are people in this world who have strong imaginations and there are people who don't. And the people who don't need the visual stimuli to, to I guess, make the connections that they, they would con- connect. And so, you know, if you go back into the 70s and 80s and even early 90s, there's just, there are multiple examples of, of things like this where, like, you know, books – there are people who won't read a book, but they'll watch a TV show or a movie based on the book. There are these video games that don't have the context. D and D, you know, mm. was Zork. I mean, you know, absolutely video games, comic books. You know, there are people who wouldn't wouldn't want to read a comic book, but you know, now Marvel's you know MCU is massive. It, it, mm-hmm. There's there's just multiple examples of which you know it's. Do you have the imagination or not? Or not? Absolutely. Well, and you mentioned Zork. You know, I, I still remember you were in the dark being eaten by a Gru. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what does a Gru look like? It's it's mm-hmm. not telling me. Now I've got this thing in my head that's, oh, that's a Gru. 
I've it's created a, short a monster bald man with like little spindly legs, and he's <laughs> surrounded by these yellow guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you remember that because anytime I think about being in the dark, that, that the phrase always pops into my head. Yeah, it's true. It could happen. It could happen yes. to you. Yes. <laughs> uh, scary stories. Bleh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Any particular story jump out to you as memorable? The Wendigo. Okay. Mm. I I vaguely remember it's I I remember the concept being absolutely terrifying and I, I can't remember it you know word for word obviously but just the the being lost in the woods and hearing this this howling sound or whatever and and I just remember this character like taking off and running faster and faster and faster and just taking off I think they took off into the sky or something like that but the way it was written was so like there's this animalistic force that's taking this person over and they have no control over it. They have n- there's nothing to be done. Mm. And it's this, and it's, it was written so mysteriously. And, and a lot of those scary stories to tell in the dark, I remember were written with this very minimalistic kind of prose, you know, was, they were meant for kids, but they were based on like, you know, old wives tales and, and, you know, a little bit of urban legend or, you know, mm-hmm. ancient tales. And, and they wrote them so minimalistically that again, you ended up kind of making making details up in your head, but then you look at those terrifying Stephen Gamble illustrations, mm. which, like, I look at those even today. And if you, if you haven't seen those original illustrations, they're they're worth looking for because they they actually tried to replace them a few years ago and republish them, and people made <laughs> such uh, such a stink about it that they had to relicense the original illustrations and put it back out. Yes. <laughs> They're terrifying. Like even today, they're they're some of the most macabre. Like they're these these dark ink, blotty kind of, you know, ink and paint kind of drawings with just tiny bits of color here and there on the covers. And they're just they're so creepy. They're just they're so those images. I think they give you one static image, you know, for a story, mm. and then your mind just goes crazy from there. And it's like you have these these terrifying images but then you have to make up the rest on your own so it's i don't know i just i remember those stories being like so scary and so cool and i think there was something special too about the fact that they were targeting me like Mm. these are scary scary stories for kids but they're actually scary they're not just you know there was a ghost and sometimes he was mean (laughs) it's like no this was like oh my god there's this this lady yelling down my chimney she wants my toe i'm like what (laughs) oh god now you can't have my toe jesus christ (laughs) Like, yeah, the toe stuck with me too, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, severing body parts is not Scooby Doo. That is for no, sure. No. Although I did watch a lot of Scooby Doo too, but I think that has more effect on my proclivity for tying up redheads than it does <laughs> my horror okay. creations. So, you know. Okay. There's okay. that too. <laughs> uh, let's see. So your mom was definitely not a fan of horror. Uh, was anybody else in your family a fan of horror? Yes and no. My dad would never admit that he was a fan of horror, but he grew up in the 50s and he was watching like the old black and white, like invasion of the pod people kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> So it's like what we thought of as horror in a way back then, that line between sci-fi and horror. Right. Uh, but he did watch the Twilight Zone a lot, which was also kind of a formative thing for me. Uh-huh. And I, I think the thing that that did for me was give me a love of the twist, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that a lot of times, especially my horror, I like a twist, 
I like atmospheric o- over explicit. So a lot of that stuff I think comes from the Twilight Zone. And I also realize I have a tendency to give, I guess, the surprising character the power. You know, there's a bad guy in the thing or whatever. They're usually bested by like a kid or a cat or something mm, like, okay. which which also feels like that sort of that Twilight Zone-y kind of like, oh, the kid has the power all the you know all along or oh, this is a very special ferret. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's, yeah, that's something too. And I think probably because, and here's where we get into the deep, dark trauma, right? Um, I was bullied a lot as a kid. I was a Mm. weird kid and I did not have a good time at school. I was socially awkward and whatever else. So I think now I find myself putting the power in the hands of those people, like that oppressed soul, the innocent Mm -hmm. kid, the animal, the whatever, you know, something that can be hurt by the scary, powerful thing ends up turning the tables and, you know tearing the bad guy's face off and making him eat it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that can be like maybe even cathartic or therapeutic, you know, turning so. the tables and empowering the, uh, the underdog, if you will. Mm. I think so. I think that's probably part of it. Mm-hmm. Could be. Did you participate in Halloween? Oh yeah. Um, we didn't do Halloween big as a family, but I think they, my parents appreciated what it was. And so there, there was always like, you know, there was a costume or something, um, usually we would do store-bought, like it wasn't, we weren't like mm. a Halloween family where mom's down there sewing this, you know, original costume every year or anything mm. like that. But they always made sure I had a, you know, buy those plastic masks that cut into your mm-hmm. face from Kmart. Yep. <laughs> so the blood's real. It's not even stage blood. You just got this line, <laughs> right. line yeah. around the side of your head, like somebody cut off your face and put on a new one but you know <laughs> even though you're trying to be batman or whatever right. i'm dracula batman <laughs> right exactly <laughs> i'm batman but i have a terrible blood disease so let's yes. get with the candy mm. yeah. But yeah they they took me can uh you know trick-or-treating and things like that i think they they sort of begrudgingly accepted that i was a proto Halloween person, you know, like even, (laughs) even when I was a kid, you know, I I became the goth teenager, you know, the long black hair and heavy metal and whatever else. But so I think they, they saw that coming and realized eventually they could only do so much to quell it. (laughs) So they, Mm -hmm. they tried to be supportive as much as they could not having a real foot in that, in that world or in that aesthetic themselves. Right. Uh, next two questions we're going to ask is a pair, uh, and you know, start on the negative and then end on the positive. Do you remember the sure. first person you hurt? Are we talking physically, emotionally, whatever? We, you know, whatever yeah, comes to mind. This this might actually speak to the fact that I like to mirror comedy with horror and 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 blend them together because the first fight I was ever in, I remember one of my friends who was like a year or two younger than me. I had brought treats that day for my class, hmm. and they were in my backpack. And my friend ran up to me and jumped on my back from behind, mm-hmm. not knowing that I had treats in there. But I, yeah. I remember just just being so mad about it. And I was like, I had all these cookies. You probably broke my cookies. So, like, I'd never been in a real fight. I've still never been in a real fight at this point, like a real, mm-hmm. real fight. And mm-hmm. I remember I got on top of him and we're, we're on the lawn tussling around. And I'm on top of him and I'm trying to, like, punch him, whatever ineffectual way a second grader can Mm-hmm. And I just remember we must have looked so pathetic and ridiculous <laughs> because yeah. the, the school principal walked by like two kittens. <laughs> yeah. He looks down at us. I'm on top of my friend, like straddling, <laughs> I'm trying to punch him. And the principal looks down and he goes, 
keep off the grass, boys. And then he just keeps walking. (laughs) (laughs) And we both just stopped. Just kind of just like watched him walk away. And I think we realized in that moment, like how pathetic, whatever it was Mm -hmm. we were doing was because like, wow, that's the that's the commentary. Okay, we should just stop. Let's just cut our losses. his snide comment was more diffusing than actually physically separating you like oh yeah okay <laughs> keep off the grass boys <laughs> jesus christ all right damn you're clearly not hurting each other <laughs> <laughs> we were doing more damage to the grass <laughs> made the mistake of trying Groundskeeper to take a Willie's just gonna then. be so mad you rolled Rolls over his list. freshly seeded lawn uh. <laughs> monsters yes <laughs> so the sister question to that is do you remember the first person you helped that's a really interesting question um mm-hmm. i think i've always tried to make sure people were comfortable around me you know it's a it's a form of hyper vigilance like that's a right that's a thing from when you know because i was i was scared of aggression when i was a kid my dad was ex-military he would yell mm. i would cry you know like mm-hmm. there's a lot of that back there and you know, I was never physically abused or anything like that, but I was in constant fear of, well, dad's going to blow up about something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think I was always hyper vigilant in the way that I'm like, well, if I make sure everybody's happy around me, they're less likely to suddenly explode. Mm-hmm. And I still do that. I, I never understood, to some degree, I never understood cruelty. And mm-hmm. I I'm still want to say things like, I, I said it just the other day to somebody at the library I was having a conversation with, like, it's not hard to be kind, mm-hmm. but- people tend to choose cruelty sometimes. And I, I've never really understood why. So I think that's, I've always been a helper in that way because it's like, it's not hard to be a decent human being. I really I believe that. It's, um, it's difficult to be cruel. It's easier to be kind and it's easiest to be indifferent. Yeah, that's true. That's it depends a good on the person. Yeah. Some people find it easier to be cruel than kind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I just, I, it's hard for me to fathom that, I guess. And I, you know, I look at it and I'm like, well, what exactly are you getting out of that? Cause I mean, like, you know, I dabble in the music industry too. And there's lots of assholes in the music industry. It's all yeah. about and, what you believe to be appropriate in a given situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But if yeah, so I, I look at people, I'm like, well, okay, so you got a short term gain out of that, but everyone's talking about how much of an asshole you are. Like, what are you actually getting out of this? Because I'm in this for the long haul. I didn't you know? say it was wise. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> fair point. <laughs> uh, did you ever have any scary dreams or reoccurring dreams when you were a kid? All the time. That you remember? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to have a dream journal. I kept it for a while. Really? Um, oh, I cool. Would write, I would write down the nightmares and stuff. I don't know whatever mm-hmm. happened to it. It it disappeared. It might be. Mm. I have a sneaking suspicion that my mom found it one day and was so mm-hmm. horrified that she just like <laughs> disposed of it and never spoke yeah. of it again. Um, there was actually, I got to the point where I had them enough and was sort of familiar enough with waking up in a cold sweat with a nightmare or whatever that I learned to lucid dream. Mm. Um, through nice. that. And at one point there was a, a reoccurring character that I, I, in my, you know, in my youth, I referred to as the dream master. Mm. Um, <laughs> was this before or after you had seen nightmare on Elm street? I'm this wondering. was, this was before this was before. All right. Um, all right. So yeah. yeah, coming up on the show later on then it's like, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, Hold on. 
I know that guy. No, uh, uh, but no, it, it became a thing where I was like, I would, I would find myself in a really surreal situation. Like I remember one that was like, I was in this, this garden full of snakes and there was like this, I don't know, just lots of weird stuff happening around the neighborhood, giant lawnmower chasing me or whatever. Yeah. And I summoned the dream master and I'm like, I, I, I yeah, I'm just like, dude, no, no. Let's, let's. Why are we? Why are we even bothering to do this? I know I'm in a dream, so let's just cut the shit. Basically, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and that's not how I said it back then, but yeah. that's essentially what it was. And then he's like, oh, "Okay," and then we and then I woke up, and that became kind of a weird defense mechanism where if I realized I was in a in dream situation, I'd be mm-hmm. like, "All right, you got me, pal," but I, now I know I'm in a dream. Mm-hmm. So going on with this nightmare is pointless because. Mm-hmm. Neither of us is getting anything out of this. Right. <laughs> I didn't learn how to lucid dream until I was probably in my late 20s, maybe early 30s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because I'm now in this sort of like adversarial thing with my my dreams where if I do start to recognize that I'm in a dream that's, that's lucid, my subconscious then does something in the dream that will piss me off really badly. <laughs> because because when I get angry about something, then it wakes me up. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh, you know you're you're in a dream now. Well, here I'm gonna piss you off so you'll wake up. It's like, God damn it. That's your kick. Yes. Well that I'm makes a lot of it. sense. And, and you know, I remember before the whole Dream Master thing, the way I it, it, this was terrifying, and it's still a terrifying idea to me, but the way I would wake myself up if I if I was like, This is a scary dream and I want to get out of here, I remember I would have to die in the dream. Oh, so, there were there were a number of times where I would be like I am I have to jump off this cliff because that's the only way I'm going to wake up. <laughs> okay, and, interesting. And it, it sucked. It was terrifying, but it's like, well, yeah. okay, this monster's after me or whatever. There's a coffin over there. There's hands reaching out of the wall over there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I literally remember one where it's just one of the scariest dreams I can still remember. Is I was in this like dungeony basement place with like something was coming down the stairs. It was all dark up there. And you know, it's like that's really bad for learned behavior and stuff. I know, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I remember going up the stairs a little ways, and I'm like, this is there's monsters and horrible things everywhere. So I dove off the stairs head first <laughs> and startled myself away. I I, I hope nothing <laughs> bad happens to you in real life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank you. <laughs> well i'm gonna just over here thinking like this is just like a video game you know it's like when you when you fuck something up in a level and you've got to save like all right all right i'll just walk into this wall of spikes right. until yeah. i die basically yeah it's it yeah, it kind of video game logic i guess i live my life by video game logic hopefully i'm not getting like a tax on it one of these days yeah, right. and i'm like a window <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. at the end of the game it shows how many times you've died <clears throat> <laughs> wow that's a lot <laughs> My stats were not the best. (laughs) (laughs) Might want to improve that one next time around. Yeah. So moving into teenage years, then um, you had mentioned there was this uh, experience where, you know, it was sort of a dividing line where like, oh, wait, I could do this and, you know, enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Was there other horror media or experiences in your teenage years prior to that that you remember? I, I mostly remember the things that kind of got me more comfortable with horror. I guess once I'd made that decision, that's when I started to seek out more horror ah. media. Uh, mm-hmm. The first two big ones I remember. Um, so like a lot of us, Stephen King was a huge, a huge step forward. Cause I think before that I'd been reading 
you know, that was like the demarcation line, right? Like I'd been reading a lot of young adult stuff before that. And then I'm like, I want to read adult books now. Stephen King was the first choice for me. Mm-hmm. And I still have like uh, one of my favorites of all time was the dark half. Uh, I still have that in my head now. And I think it's the first time I ever experienced uh, knowing what a teratoma is with like mm-hmm. the teeth and the hair and whatever. And like, right? and, you know, he's discussing his twin or whatever, like as part mm-hmm. of him, that image was just so shocking and, and disturbing to me, but I, I kind of loved it. Like, it, I think that's mm-hmm. when I learned to like horror where I'm like, God, that's fucked up. But <laughs> right. It's like the fascination of something that's so fucked up. Yeah. I, I'm not a big reader. So, uh, didn't read the book, but uh, mm-hmm. I saw the film around my adolescent years too. So around the same time, mm-hmm. and I remember having the same experience, just like the 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 car crash mentality, almost like God, that's so fucking awful and horrid, but yeah, cool, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yes. I think, I think uh, Stephen King. So I started to read some, and you know, I read like The Stand and Insomnia and a few others like back then, and then. Um, uh, started to seek out some of the movies and things too. And I think Hellraiser was one of the first mm-hmm. series that I really dug, which yeah. go figure. I became a sexual deviant and a horror author, but <laughs> you know, uh, there, as one does. Right. But uh, yeah, Hellraiser was one of the big ones. Clive would be proud. He would be. Yeah. <laughs> um, he would. That was another one of the first adult books I read was Everville. So I, I started off with Barker too. Mm, and nice. uh, yeah, that, that, probably warped me in the right ways but yeah i think um i i became fascinated with the imagery of of horror and i think i still love like you know i think about some of the things i like like industrial metal you know and uh mm-hmm. and horror and the bdsm culture and whatever else i'm like it, it all ties into that like i like leather i like spikes <laughs> Mm-hmm. Let's let's put them all together in a big bucket and see what we get. Um, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but whips and chains excite me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> my partner's going to be listening to this in her kitchen. And she's just going to be shaking her head right now, <laughs> and then she'll be nodding her head. But then she'll right. be shaking her head again. Yeah, yeah. little both, yeah. little both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting that you said I want to read adult books, and then you went to Stephen King. He's an adult book, but I mean, yeah. he could have selected any other adult book. I mean, I suppose so. I think so. I remember uh, I joined one of those. This was back in the day when you could, um, if you were smart, you could rip off companies like Columbia House or mm. BMG and like get the for a penny. twelve CDs for a penny, yeah. <laughs> and then be like, "Sorry, I'm under 18. <laughs> And they were like, arg, foiled again, you know, mm. <laughs> but I, uh, I did join the book of the month club for a while. And I remember browsing through their catalogs and stuff. And just, I don't know, I, again, I was already into things that were fantastic and weird and kind of out there. So it just made sense. You know, like I remember the first, you know, it was like six books for a dollar or whatever. And I remember at least, let's see, one was nightmares and dreamscapes by Stephen King. One was the stand by King. One was Everville by Clive Barker. I'm interested in what you said about already being into things that were weird or fantastic. I think a lot of that, again, came from video gaming. You know, I was I was such a big mm-hmm. game kid. And um, I had a YouTube show for a little while with my buddy Danger Slater called Arcade Anomalies, mm-hmm. based on a series of uh, articles I had done for a now defunct magazine called Babu 691, but uh, basically looking at old arcade games. Mm-hmm. And um, especially like weird, obscure ones. And they're so bizarre. 
They're so bizarre. Like literally like, okay, you're a, you're a fat Japanese politician punching Michael Jackson before, you know, trying to not get caught by your secret service who will immediately change into S and M gear and whip you, but you have to grab enough gold bars and, and leap over the logs before your, your, uh, your doppelganger unfreezes from a statue and chases you down that that's a legitimate Sounds like a japanese that, game yes yeah. that is a game okay that's a legitimate yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering if you're like yeah. making it up this whole time that no that is that an is, actual game that's a game called i'm sorry um and, <laughs> and okay. uh yeah and you can yeah it's an arcade game it's uh that's a legitimate plot uh summary of that game <clears throat> and like i was playing all these different games and i still do that and it's like especially those old ones. There's such strange, just bizarre things. I mean, you think about even Pac-Man, right? Mm -hmm. You're a yellow circle gobbling up dots while the ghosts of your enemies chase you around an endless maze. That's weird. Mm -hmm. That's really Mm -hmm. strange. There's nothing realism about any of that. So it's like, you know, we were weaned on that. So I think Mm -hmm. always I was like, yeah, I'm looking for something different. I, I live regular life all the time. Like, give me something that's going to take me out of that place and give me some Mm. escapism and, you know, give me something different or new to think about. In your teens, was there ever anything that happened in real life that you really were afraid of? I guess, honestly, just, just interacting with people at school and stuff. Mm. I was, I was, like I said, I was the weird goth kid, you know, and, and this was, I was in the middle of North Dakota. So I'm growing up in a fairly conservative, small town kind of Mm. environment um i had befriended a lot of the other outcasts you know like my my friends who were uh, like lgbtq who couldn't be out because they'd get their asses beaten there you know or my my friends who were in punk bands and stuff which i i started to you know do too and it's like and i realized like i like i identify with the outcasts more and i want to i want to champion those people and and if i can become one of the cool adults I see doing this stuff, then I can, then I can help, you know, Mm. like I can, I can make society better for us. And I remember it was 1995. I somehow convinced my parents to give me and my friends a ride to the Bismarck civic center, capital of North Dakota, Mm -hmm. because white zombie was coming (laughs) to play. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do their research ahead of time. Thank God. And they, <laughs> um, they took us down there and we, I saw my first real like showy horror tinged heavy metal show. And I remember standing there like if, if, if I ever get to speak to Rob zombie in person, I will tell him this. I've seen him a few times in concert, but like if I ever get to meet the guy, it was so instrumental in shaping who I would become because it's the first time I saw like a full grown adult doing this crazy over the top, mad, chaotic stage show thing that was just like unabashedly evil in a really fun way. And just like this, like, you know, it's all like giant robots and crucified clowns and fire shooting out of, you know, zombies and whatever. I'm like, you can do this with your life. This is, (laughs) this is a real thing that people can do. You can do this for a living. Exactly. <laughs> it, it blew my mind. I, I'll never forget that. Like the feeling, that electric feeling that just coursed through my body when the energy started to come up as soon as you know they were about to take the stage. And just it just changed my life. Like it made me want to be a rock star. It made me 
even more interested in horror and dark aesthetics and, and showmanship. And, you know, whenever I do a performative piece or something, it changed everything for me. And it was just at that right time. Cause I was like, it was like a junior in high school, you know, or something like that. Perfect in that formative kind of teen time that I saw this happening and went, wow, the world is bigger than I have been led to believe. Mm. And I want to get out there and I want to see it and I want to embrace it. And I want to find these cool things in it and be part of it. You know, it's funny that you say that because, you know, one of the comments that I was thinking about is, you know, we hadn't talked about it until just, you know, a moment ago when you mentioned that you grew up in North Dakota, which is Mm -hmm. uh, a bit out of the way, shall we say? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then to say here, you know, a second ago, the world has been, is bigger than you've been led to believe that's uh, those things kind of gel together nicely, I guess you could say. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and also kind of funny because the next question was going to be, you know, have you ever had any moments when you, in your teens, when you felt completely calm or safe or bliss and talking about this, uh, concert sounds like it was definitely one of them. I would say so. I think a lot of my moments of bliss over time, you know, have been related to music or seeing a show that really just absolutely struck at the core of, of who I am and who I want to be. Mm. And I think, you know, I think the arts, I think literacy, I think things like that are so incredibly important. And and it was so powerful to me to see people making a living at it, and especially those people who were doing stuff that was different. You know, this wasn't the kind of stuff that I see like when my parents watch the Grand Ole Opry on TV or whatever. This was something wholly other. And the idea that people could be different and weird and out there and just do these over-the-top things that made them happy. That, that made other people happy, that connected with people. Like that was so impactful to me. And I think I, I'll, I will always champion those things. You know, like we, um, we had a, there was a Beyond the Book Festival recently in Indiana in this tiny little town and called Knox. And I got invited along with, uh, there were about 40 authors total. A lot of us went down from Chicago. They had some come from Indianapolis. They had just kind of cast a wide net. They had contacted the, the Horror Writers Association in Chicago. Like, can you send some people? And we went and we had a great time. They had so much passion. This little teeny town on county library system, but they had so much passion. And I was talking to one of my colleagues and I'm like, thinking about my own background, I will always, always be the guy who will drive two hours to some little tiny town in the middle of nowhere if I can be the cool thing that goes there because I remember being the kid on the other end of that. And going, why doesn't anything cool ever come here? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't anything that I identify with ever show up? And and I think back to them that white zombie concert I mentioned. I remember mm-hmm. Rob saying from the stage, he's like, "You guys are awesome, blah blah blah. We'll be back." And my friends are like, "Well, they always say that." I'm like, "No, no, mm-hmm. I think he meant it." And I'll be damned if he didn't come back over and over again every tour, like nice. zombie hits North Dakota, because he gets it too. There are kids out there like I was who were like. I, nothing cool ever happens here and I'm different from everybody around me and I don't have anyone to identify with. Don't I deserve some kind of connection? You know, mm-hmm. don't I deserve something that, that shows that it cares about what I think or what I want. And, and if I can be that in the world, that's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Like it, even in a small way, if I can be that for some other kid, it, that's all I want out of my life. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Given where you came from. 
Well, and like you said, it's that, you know, do you remember a time when you helped someone? And this is, to me, this is a really, maybe not the most obvious way to help people, but I think it's incredibly important because people need to feel seen. They need to feel like they're connecting with something bigger than themselves. Mm. And, and just to be a tiny part of that is, is honestly, it's an honor. Like it still blows my mind that I have, you know, fans, like, like people paid for the things that came out of my head. I will never take that for granted. (laughs) I'll never take that for granted. Yeah. Uh, that touches on a question here that we will get to in a minute. So I made a note for that. Um, mm-hmm. Moving into adult years, what are some of the books or movies or media that have jumped out to you as being impactful in your adult years? Oh my God, there's so much. So I have the, the curse of the the slightly competent where <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, made okay. it, I've made it far enough now into the, you know, the, the, the profession where I have a lot of friends who are also content creators. So <laughs> I'm trying... To read all of their stuff and like i went to StokerCon with you know whatever number of books that i was trying to get rid of i actually came back with more with books more than you <laughs> than i had gone with yeah. like oh my god so my um if this was a video podcast i would tilt my camera right now because there is an entire bookcase in my office like one of those billy bookcases from ikea mm. that is now getting double stacked like books in front of other books the entire case is my to read pile yes and I have you know, one as well. it's you get it. <laughs> it's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a good problem to have, but <laughs> well, the funny but, thing um, is, like, I felt really bad about it because like a couple artists or, or authors were giving you books, and I'm like, I've got. In <laughs> to be fair, I've also had a bunch of other things pop up in my my real life that have been very time consuming, and I'm like, sure, oh, I just I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said, it's a good problem to have, but it's yes. still a problem. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess what's, what's thrilling me these days. Um, I still read a lot of bizarro cause that's the scene I came up with. Um, mm-hmm. One of my, my favorite authors on that side of things is probably like, I love danger Slater. He's a good mm-hmm. friend of mine, but I love his writing. Laura Lee Barr does amazing stuff. I am happy to see so many of the people that I came up with like exploding like Gabino Iglesias, who's become an absolute phenomenon last year. You know, he, he's just blown up. We came up together like as writers, like he attended the first few bizarro cons. We sat next to each other. And this was like when each of us were getting our first novella put out, you know? Mm. So like seeing people that I know that I like, that I care about succeed wildly is, is an awesome place to be. Cool. So I'm reading a lot of indie horror these days. Um, mm. Like, you know, um, Cynthia Palayo is uh, one of my new favorites. She's a Chicago author, first ever Latinx winner of a Stoker Award. Yep. Um, I was awesome. Um, so I've been reading her. Gosh, let's see. Tenebrous Press is putting out a ton of cool stuff right now. They're one of my favorite small presses currently. And they put out one called One Hand to Carve, One Hand to Hold. Hmm. Um, which is sort of a beautiful body horror about a cadaver that wakes up on the slab um, mm-hmm. that's been bisected, but left mm. and right halves wake up separately. Ooh. And they decide that they must be brothers because there is nothing else for them to be. So they sort of escape the mortuary and they try to live normal lives as half bodies. Huh. Um, but one of them wants them to stay together forever because. That's what they're supposed to be. They came from one person. The other wants to experience independence. 
Mm-hmm. And it sort of becomes this weird exploration of toxic relationships mm. through body horror. And it's, it's strangely beautiful. So I really like it when people take a, a really heady literary or philosophical concept and can tell that through like weird, bizarro horror comedy, like any, any kind of more visceral thing. You know, they're, they're giving you these heady concepts, but they're telling it in a really visceral genre that hits you in the gut before you have a chance to even process it. Like, mm. I think that's such a cool trick. Yeah. So that's another one that I read. Uh, Crumb Crock was an interesting one, too. I think that was Tenebris Press as well, which is about an Irish, like Irish folk horror. I'm going like full Vince McMahon meme here. Just like each, each thing you mentioned is just like, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. for sure. <laughs> um, Crom Croc was cool. It was like a ritual's gone wrong and everyone's blaming the local ah. pagans. And they're like, uh, we didn't do this. We would have done it right. You right. guys fucked it up. Right. Yeah. So it's like there's corpses walking around and everyone's like, that's not normal. And, and so it's kind of this like this weird small Irish town. Like it plays into the politics of small town kind of life where everyone's kind of blaming each other, but it's like somebody did this and you're kind of trying to figure out who Mm. made this happen. So it's, again, it's that atmospheric horror too. It's not like there's not like a lot of violence or action. It's about like this terrifying thing is happening to us right now. We're in the middle of it. How do we Mm -hmm. cope with that as human Mm. beings? How do we, how do we address this? That sounds relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Halloween is an adult. Oh, always a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, uh, mostly these days I'll like, I'll go over to my partner's house. I'll help her hand out candy to the kids and stuff, you know, but favorite costume as an adult. I actually found a way to sort of multitask this costume. I have been going as a costume inspired by, uh, have you guys seen our flag means death? No. no. Okay. So it's a, it's a very funny pirate period Sounds comedy like and Taika Waititi plays Blackbeard in it. Okay. Okay. And it's this super fetishy kind of badass Blackbeard costume. Okay. Okay. So that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah. Because again, it's like I take off the pirate hat. Now I can go to the club <laughs> Right. Or mm-hmm. up on stage. I put on the pirate hat. Now it's a Ren fair thing. That can also mm. be a Halloween thing. It's right. yeah, it's multifaceted. You could probably wear the hat <laughs> to the club too. <laughs> you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depending on the club. Yeah. Sometimes you need a pirate head. Yeah. Least favorite costume as an adult. I don't know. It's not my least favorite exactly, but it's probably the the dumbest. <laughs> I, I went out one year to uh, like small black box theater shows with my girlfriend at the time and a couple of friends. And uh, you guys know Waiting for Godot, Samuel Beckett. I've mm-hmm. heard of I it. I went as Godot. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so I had a, a t-shirt I just comb my hair different, wear some glasses and put Godot on a t-shirt. And all night, the theater people were like, I've been waiting for you. I'm like, I know. Uh, yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Is that the reason why it was the least favorite costume? Just yeah. Because that joke got so old. It was yeah. pretty dumb. <laughs> I'll have you. Wait some more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the, the other dumb favorite, I guess this is sort of a favorite, but it's also really dumb, was in, in grad school, I went as the guy who just stepped out of the shower. So, uh, yeah. so I was just wearing a towel all night right. and I kept wetting my hair every like 10 minutes or so. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to go for an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. This one's a little bit more elaborate, but yeah, I've seen versions of that where like they include the shower curtain. Mm-hmm. Uh, too much work. 
too much work. Yeah. No. Yeah. For a dumb gag, too much. Yeah, exactly. Was, you guys get the idea. You got the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Was there ever anything in your adult life so far that you've been terrified in real life? I've had a few weird experiences. Um, okay. Yeah. I do tell. So the most, the most prevalent one that I can recall was in graduate school. So I, I should preface this with generally speaking, I'm a skeptic. I don't necessarily believe in, in the supernatural as but. such, but, <laughs> but, I, but I do believe in that we are, incredibly naive when it comes to how our own brains work mm. and mm. that there are plenty of inexplicable things that happen to us that may or may not be, you know, maybe it's a, a weird synapse breaking in your brain or maybe, you know, or you just, your senses don't understand what they're seeing or whatever. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not a terrifying situation. Mm. Like regardless of this supernatural in origin, or if it's, you know, a trick of the mind, it doesn't matter. The fear is real. It's still scary. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember in graduate school, I was sleeping one night in my apartment and I woke up very suddenly and I kind of had one of those like a momentary sleep paralysis, you know, where you can't quite move when you wake up. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But I remember I looked down at the foot of my bed and the room was pretty much completely black, but there was a silhouette of a man standing at the foot of my bed. And it was blacker than the black around it. So mm. it was like a silhouette, even in the black, like you could just barely see kind of like the outline of a guy. Mm. And I remember my heart was beating so hard. I thought I was going to have a heart attack, like just this terrifying like moment and everything was in slow motion, of course, you know, cause this is all just a few seconds, but mm -hmm. I remember um, that's one of the times in my life that I've realized that I'm to uh, my fight or flight mechanism is really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Cause it always goes to fight no matter what's happening. Like <laughs> if I like was being chased by a threshing machine and it, it came as a surprise, <laughs> I'd be like, you son of a bitch. And then I'd get thrashed. <laughs> challenge you to fisticuffs. Exactly. You inanimate yes. object. That's right. So I yelled to the point where like, it actually like hurt my throat. Like, you know, that, that just that roar. And I leapt off the foot of my bed toward this, this figure for lack of a better term. And then I was just kind of on the floor, like holding my pillow, like looking around, just listening to my heartbeat. Mm. And it was the strange, but it was so, it was so palpable and it felt so real. Like somebody was just standing there staring at me. Mm -hmm. And I did have a friend at the time who was, was very into, um, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, the sort of the witchy woo side of things uh, mm -hmm. and very interested in supernatural and, and Wiccan things and whatever. His assertion was that I had scared off uh, a, 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 an entity or a psychic vampire or something like that, that had not expected me to Fight back. Uh, yeah. attack it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh, well, you know what? I'm fine. Sure. With that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fine. That yeah. sounds fine. Whether it was real or not, it had a, it had a good end result. Yeah, yes, like, uh, whatever it was, <laughs> whether I made it up or whether there was a demon standing there, I scared the crap out of it when I leapt at it screaming in the middle of the night. So, fell <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it worked out. You know, <laughs> the fuck is wrong but with I, you? Yeah, but I do remember <laughs> the fear being incredibly palpable. You know, like it, that that was the weird thing to me is, is whether or not it's a you know a trick of the mind or whatever the the physiological response was so strong yeah. 
Yeah. That is one of the things that kind of coincides with uh, sleep paralysis situations is the figure standing at the foot of the bed. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. Right? Give you a few chills. Yeah. yeah. Has there ever been a time in your adult life when you felt completely calm or safe or bliss? Yeah, I think so. I think at this point in my life, I've found a lot of good coping mechanisms for stress. Mm-hmm. I tend to be a very calm and collected kind of person. Like I can get excitable or whatever about things, but but in the face of tragedy or things going wrong, I'm usually just kind of like, well, it is what it is. Well, we'll get through it. This too shall pass. That is healthy. I think so. That's, that's you know, it's Chris taken like, a while. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's taken a while to get there, but I think that's, I think that's been... I guess the benefit of my self-reflection over time and sort of, like I said, you know, growing up being distrustful of anger in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I still don't do well when people are are angry and, and it seems like it's not controlled well, mm-hmm. it still makes mm-hmm. me uncomfortable. So I think I threw myself the opposite direction and went, okay, I'm going to make sure that I am calm. I'm going to not take things to an extreme emotional place and whether or not that's healthy, I don't know, you know, but I would say that in that respect, I find a lot of things I find to be like a safe, calm place. Like when, uh, when my girlfriend and I will like, we'll go visit my parents or something, or we'll meet them somewhere and we'll do like a, an Airbnb, like out in the woods or something. And that moment where I'm like, I get up in the morning and I go out on the little porch, you know, it's just woods and I have my tea and I'm just sitting there. And just kind of like listening to birds and what, looking at a tree and having tea. That's that's the moment. Like it's it's just a perfect yeah. moment. And I'm so calm and so put together. I could just sit there forever. I'm amused by your comment about, okay, so I'm distressful of anger. So I'm going to react by going to the opposite and being very calm. Mm-hmm. But that following a moment ago when you just said that if it's fight or flight, you're going to choose fight. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, like I said, the fight or flight mechanism is kind of busted. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess I'm, I'm very controlled up to a point. And then, yeah. you know, it's, it's like I used to say, I have an extremely long fuse. Mm-hmm. Like it's very hard for me to get that angry or that upset. Right. But I will say that people in my past have said they don't ever want to see me that upset yes. because the, mm-hmm. the few times it's happened, it's, it it's way off the charts. Can so relate. I think it's, yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. the threshold, the fuse is extremely long. It's very yes. hard to upset me to yes. that degree. Do not yeah. mistake kindness for weakness. Yes. yes. Yeah. Next two questions I'm going to ask. I'm, I'm going to give it to you at the same time. Cause it could be the same uh, answer for both or two different answers. Sure. But uh, what's the movie you've, and this is not just horror. It could be any mm-hmm. genre and it covers your entire life. Not just adulthood, but uh, what movie would you say you have watched more times than any other? And what is your mm-hmm. favorite movie? Oh, wow. More than any other, I'm pretty sure is Monty Python, the quest for the Holy grail. Got it. Good choice. I love that film. Um, Same. Very, very close to my heart as far as my sense of humor, too, because of all the meta humor and the just the straight up ridiculousness. Yes. I love the absurdity. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I would say probably a close second to that and and maybe maybe my favorite movie, at least at the moment, Dark City. 
Yes. I loved Dark City. And I think it, it never, Truly. to me, it never got the acclaim it should have. Like, not it, really. It didn't. Like, did it right. Did it come out around the same time as something else? Because I, I can never understand it why. By night, Matrix. Uh, did didn't it? Matrix come out after it? Well, I, so. I don't it know. did, but it, there were some of the similar themes. And so. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. But I just thought was, Dark City was brilliant. And, and you know, it's I like. Agree. And I look back at it now, and you know, it's it's one of the only, uh, as I understand it, it's one of only two movies that Roger Ebert ever wrote a uh, a full essay about how how it was a great movie, and the other was <laughs> like some ancient, like it was one of the big classics, like Citizen Kane or something like that. Right. Like it's one of two movies he ever did that for. I'm like that right there should get people's attention, yeah. <laughs> right? It was like a but cross yeah, think, between, um, oh shit, what was that? It was a Jim Carrey movie? Um, oh, uh, Truman Show. Truman Show. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. like a yeah. cross between the Truman Show and the Matrix. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I don't know. I thought that was brilliant. I think that that too speaks very much to the kind of stuff that I like, where it's like, this is a story where there's going to be these twists that completely change the context of what you've been watching. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the reality we live in. Oh my God, no, it isn't. I love those rug pull moments. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's one of my favorite things in any media is when you think you understand what's going on. And then there's this beautiful moment of you don't understand anything. You right. have to mm-hmm. completely reconfigure your entire viewpoint into this world. And I love that. Yes. <laughs> Twists have been uh, almost tropized, if you will, but they're still great when they're done well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they got they got ruined a little bit because people like M. Like Shyamalan, you know, like yeah. people kind of got the idea that this is what that is all the time. And it's like, no, no, mm-hmm. no. It's just one example of how to do it. It doesn't mean it's always the best example of how to do it, but I think people got almost over overexposed to the idea of a twist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But there's so many good ways to do twists. (laughs) There are. Yeah. That's uh, who was it? We were talking to, there's somebody we were talking to who is in the movie business and they were just like, or maybe it was, Maybe there was an author, but talking about being in some sort of like pitch meeting and, you know, getting to that moment where, you know, the other person's going to say, well, it needs a twist. And they're just like, don't say it. <laughs> don't, don't say it. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Damn it. You guys spoke with uh, John Skip on here for a while, didn't you? Yes. Yep. I did. Maybe Might Skip. Is this, is this skip? Yeah. It sounds like a Skip I don't think thing. it was him. I, okay. I don't think it was him. I think it, mm, it was more recent. Oh, okay. It was. I'm, for some reason, I'm either thinking Fakasi or Atone. I'm not sure. Okay. Might have been one of them. Might not have been. I. I don't want to. <laughs> don't hold. Don't hold my feet to the fire. I, I, That's I'm, fair. That's fair. <laughs> I will hold you in contempt. Yes. <laughs> sir. Good day, sir. Yes. <laughs> Going back to horror for a moment. Do Do you see any common threads about what kind of horror you like in terms of like a. Uh, you know, cannibalism, occult, metaphysical, supernatural. I, I, I think I like supernatural horror. I like psychological horror when it, when it really gives you a mood and a feeling of un, being unsettled. Um, when you're sort of in this world where it's like, this looks a lot like my world. There are familiar things here, but again, it comes back to what we were just talking about with that rug pull. Um, I love books where, I think I understand everything. And then there's a moment where suddenly everything is thrown into question and it's like, Oh my God, everything is completely different than what I thought it was. This would normally be where we kind of shift into 
talking about you know common themes that have come up uh, pri- in the sections that uh, preceded this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'll share you with you what I'm thinking, and then you can either correct me if you think I'm wrong or add to it <laughs> if you if you feel necessary. Sure. Um, this is the diagnosis, the the prognosis. Yes, section. exactly. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so. I'm hearing two things, but I think the second one actually subsumes under the first. So uh, the two things are empowerment and also um, the world is bigger than I've been led to believe. And I think that the second one subsumes under the first because tied in with that, that thing of the world is bigger than I've been led to believe was other statements like people can be different and weird and happy um, story twists are kind of related to this, that I wasn't expecting that. And this expansion of understanding now is changing my understanding of the world. But I think that all kind of falls under empowerment, which is related to a number of the other things that you said, part of it having to do with potentially, you know, being, you know, the class clown to control the situation um, and being distrustful of anger and, and hypervigilance, but also as maybe like a, a defense against not just in the home, but the social situation of potentially growing up in North Dakota. Do you think that's accurate? Do you think they're I'm missing something? Do you want to add to that? I think that that sums things up pretty nicely, actually. Um, I think I'm all over the map. But I think the people that like what I do kind of like to follow me around on those journeys. And I think the common thing where with each of the the points on that map are that, yeah, you're right. I think I like to find strange things, unusual things, and I like to empower those misfits and those those weird situations with some some agency and some power that they might not have in sort of the the more traditional scripted view of what the world is or what society is supposed to be. Maybe uh, mm. another thing I could say is conf- uh, non-conformity in the face of conformity. I think that's a great one. Um, I remember mm-hmm. there was a time in graduate school where we were sitting around the table is I went to, to graduate school for playwriting and we were sharing some of the plays that we'd written recently with our colleagues and talking about different things. And one of our advisors brought in a union sort of analysis test uh, that had been mm. modified for creatives. And we all kind of took it just, you know, just for fun, but something to talk about. And I remember everybody around that table, and there were six of us, all five other people around that table got the artist archetype, basically, when we took hmm. this. And which made sense. It's like, okay, we're all artists and we're taking this as artists. Yeah. Or whatever. I didn't. I huh. got the iconoclast archetype, which I found really interesting. Because I'm like, well, it's important to me to do this art, but maybe it's about why I'm doing it. Because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them were doing it like a lot of people do, where it's like, I want to make this art and I want it to be a hit and I want those accolades that come with it or whatever. Yeah. And of course- I want this for fame. Right. Whereas you did it for more more of a purpose, it sounds like. Maybe. More of a tearing down- the the institution a little bit and just mm-hmm. being like no 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 there's room for there's room for other stranger things here mm-hmm. um so I, I kind of like that i kind of wore that as a badge of honor because of mm-hmm. course the art's important to me and of course i would love to have a hit something you know and, and make it you know my living 
to just create things. But, but I've always been a little more marching to that, that beat of like, no, I'd rather tear down the institutions of oppression, essentially. I mean, like it gets, it sounds like a political action committee, but, <laughs> but I think that's important. It can also be a state of mind. Yeah. And I think it's, it's more important to me to challenge those perceptions and also those institutions that I find very oppressive that control through power and anger and, and greed and, you know, whatever else. So I kind of love that because it's, it, it, it speaks to that empowerment thing that you had mentioned about what I was talking about, what I am attracted to, but it also, yeah, it gives me a purpose in my own content creation where it's like, no, 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 I'm, I want to make good art that people like, but I like mm-hmm. to tweak. I like to thumb my nose a little bit at authority and, and While the powers that be. Yeah. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's almost more important to me at the core than just making a thing. Mm. So then the follow-up question to that would be any idea why you like that? Um, again, I think it comes from being a, a kid that felt very different, you know, that felt mm-hmm. like, well, why, why can't there be things for me? Why is everyone mean? Why is the world the way it is? And if mm-hmm. I can give some agency to the entities that felt like that, you know, if I can be like, no, 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 it's okay to be different and weird and be that fucked up beautiful, strange kid that you want to be. Don't worry about that, you know, that that's not part of the script that society has tried to provide for you. You write your own script. So natural follow-up then would be why horror? Couldn't you explore some of this stuff in other genres? I think um, horror is, well, number one, I, I like the aesthetics. That's a big one. But more more deeply focused than that, I think horror allows you to do, and more specifically weird horror and, and bizarro, allow you to do anything you want. I like to say that I think a lot of authors stop themselves from creating their best work because they put arbitrary limitations on themselves because they're like, well, it wouldn't happen that way. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well- yeah, it did because I told the story. So that's how it happened. Like <laughs> we do strange and spontaneous things all the time as human beings. Not every one of our actions is well planned out. Not all of them make logical sense. People just do things sometimes and they don't always know why. So our characters can do that too. And I think in horror, you have such a huge palette of things to explore where you can like, you can bring in the supernatural, you can bring in an alien, you can bring in a monster. You can, you can have people practicing weird ritualistic, you know, behavioral patterns or whatever. That's like, and it it all makes sense and it all serves the story. So I think it just gives you such a rich palette. And and then the other thing I think is what I said earlier about it's a visceral reaction. That's such a powerful Mm -hmm. thing. If you can strike someone in the gut, you know, with Mm -hmm. again, comedy is my other true love if you can strike them in the gut and make them react without even engaging that upper part of their brain first mm. that's an awesome mm. awesome thing like you can have someone react and they don't even know why they're reacting yet until they sit and reflect on it later that's powerful mm-hmm. and and such a cool thing not exactly something that's uh, as easily attainable in a, in a rom-com exactly yeah because you know most most other genres horror and comedy are two of the few and sex it's pretty much sex, horror, and comedy that hit you in a place that's way deeper. It's, it's your lizard brain. Mm-hmm. You're not 
yeah. sitting and analyzing the thing before you react. You just react. And then you have the post analysis to, you know, figure out why you reacted the way you did. That's so is there so something cool. about the topics that you explore on horror that can't be explored in sex or rom-coms? Um, or I comedy, think, I think was the other one. Not, not rom-com. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's also a matter of exploring darker moods because I think those are things that people are afraid to analyze, you know, people like my mom and I love her to death, but again, she's not a horror fan. She doesn't want to think about the negative things. Um, and I saw the same thing in like, you know, growing up in the church or growing up in, you know, like in this conservative kind of community, we don't talk about the negatives. You know, we don't, we don't want to face those things. We don't want to talk about things that make us sick or sad or upset or whatever. I'm like, but, but why that's part of the human experience. Like, why can't we talk about those things? So mm-hmm. I guess that's why I want to explore those things because it's like, I, maybe that again is an iconoclasm thing where it's like. I'm going to rebel against this sort of strict, we don't discuss these things by explicitly discussing these things. You know, I'm very, very out and proud when it comes to horror or sexuality or, or comedy or any of those things. Cause I don't think we should be unable to discuss things that are part of the human experience. Right. I hear communication is important. I read that in a Vogue. That's what they say. <laughs> Vogue's got some good advice. <laughs> they, they really do. No, no, but that's that's a, that's a key point. You know, communication is is a important and a uh, important failure point in a lot of things in storytelling and life. So mm-hmm. yeah, if, if you if a genre lends itself and makes communicating things that are considered taboo or just that you don't discuss easier, then that's that's a strong point of it. I think so too. I think you know the, the idea that we have to cut ourselves off from such a huge and important part of being human seems just crazy to me, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm, I guess I'm fighting back against that in my own small way going, no, 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 we should embrace the entirety of what it is to be human and, and discuss these things in the time, whatever short time we have here, Mm -hmm. let's explore what it is to be here fully. We, uh, we have had some pretty good summaries in the past. I think this might be the first time that we've had, had one that is summarized into a single word. (laughs) <laughs> iconoclasm is it empowerment i bet it's empowerment I, well i was oh, gonna say okay, okay. iconoclasm um mm, which i like that yeah no i like that one better yeah is there anything you've thought of during the call that might be relevant that hasn't come up maybe conversation you know you thought of something and the conversation took a left turn i have had a wonderful time discussing all this stuff with you guys like it's so much fun to discuss and and analyze intellectually what you do and why you do it for mm. me like mm-hmm. this has been an absolute blast. Like I, I love this kind of thing. We don't <laughs> often get a chance to turn inward and really yes. analyze mm-hmm. why we do what we do or why mm-hmm. we like things. Yes. I think that's an important thing to do. And I think that's, that strikes at the heart of the last question we were discussing where it's like, why would you not want to understand more about yourself and, and why you're motivated to do well, the things that there you are do? a lot of people who are afraid of that. <laughs> that's true. There are. Hey, you know there what? Are. No fear, no fear, yeah. baby. You got to jump out of bed at that demon and tell that mugger to (laughs) duel you at dawn. (laughs) That's right. That's better or worse. Tell them you don't have time for their shit. (laughs) That's right. I don't have any shit. I don't have any time for your shit. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Oh my. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, 
we're going to, I'll get together with you offline to uh, put together a bio page and get links for me and all that kind of fun stuff. And sure. Uh, talk to you about um, potential. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Referral stuff. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, again, appreciate your time. Uh, I guess what was yeah. it that you were sharing earlier? Uh, you're currently working on. Uh, so a couple of different things, but the one I know that will be coming out in 2024 is a comedy book that is sort of a parody of academia and learning to publicly speak and ah, that's right. messages yes. across in the best yeah. possible way. <laughs> the working title being inappropriate speeches for all occasions. So yes, that should I be coming so. out in 2024. Also working on a couple of horror novels that I'm hoping to uh, finish and ideally sell somewhere and see published. So lots to come. Uh, you can always find out more about me at my website. And uh, I try to keep people updated on the social media as well. And I'm really easy to find. So anybody who's interested in what I'm doing, please reach out and say hi. Yeah. And we'll have links to all that on the bio for you. So thank you to you and to anybody out there listening. Please do come visit us at horrormakesushappy.com. Uh, we got a lot of stuff there for you to check out. Links to Discord, <clears throat> uh, Patreon, merch, bio pages for all our guests. And if you can, please support us in one of those methods. If not, tell a friend. 